Russia attempts to intensify their action in the eastern parts of Ukraine by using assault units and deploying a large number of armored vehicles near Avdivka and Kupiansk. Despite the tense situation on the front lines, Ukraine and its international partners are working to strengthen Ukraine's long-term capabilities. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolonko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I'm joined by my colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Darya Sinhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Let us discuss the key events over the past week, the week from 14th of October to 23rd of October. Dasha, could you tell us, please, what topics are we going to dwell on today? Thank you, Nastya. Thank you for inviting. So today we'll jump to the brisk overview of the developments on the front line, together with Russia's barrage of Ukraine, uh, successful approbation of Atakams in Ukraine, the new program Bring Kids Back You Are, the European Parliament's support for Ukraine in uh, the uh, in their measures of Ukraine facility. Uh, surely we'll uh, touch upon the topic of U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine's economic recovery uh, arriving to Ukraine. And then um, we'll discuss the topic of legislative measures to restrict uh, Moscow Patriarchate in Ukraine and its subversive activities. Well, very important topics, and as usually we are going to dwell on um, topics connected to the front lines and topics connected to the diplomatic activities, renovations, reconstructions, and other important things. So let's start, uh, as usually, let's start from the news from the front lines, from the war news. Tasha, could you tell us about the latest developments, please? For sure. Uh, from time to time, we hear that Russia has launched a new offensive, but where what we are witnessing now is not a new round of offensive. The situation is very dynamic at uh, Donetsk foothold in particular. It is convenient for the Russians to put pressure on Avdiivka, given their fortifications in Donetsk, uh, I mean a large agglomeration of Donetsk, Yasinovata, Makiivka, which are nearby. And additionally, they press on the surrounding area of Kupiansk because the Russian border is a mere 20 kilometers away. But let's recall that the front line along the Luman-Kupensk axis is evaluated as 140 kilometers long. And as far as experts claim, in the summer, the Russians had up to 100,000 personnel in this area, and it's about 140 battalion tactical groups. But as for expert estimations for the offensive, they need twice as many. And besides, uh, General Zaluzhny had recently visited Avdiivka, and as he stated, there are no simply areas of the front in war, but only those 
where the situation is more difficult, and now it is Avdiivka. Here, the enemy does not stop trying to break through our defense lines and uh, encircle the town. And according to build military analyst Julian Repke, under artillery and ATGM fire, the occupiers have uh, well were driven back and lost about 60 tanks and armored personnel carriers. And Russian occupation forces lose their positions south of Bakhmut and withdraw to the Bakhmut-Horlivka highway. And now, southern direction. Ukraine's offensive um, continues on the Zaporizhia bridgehead, which Russian troops are trying to slow down as much as possible. Ukrainian troops drive Russians from western outskirts of Robotino, as the Institute for the Study of War claims. Also, Ukrainian forces continued larger-than-usual ground operations on the east or left uh, bank of Kherson Oblast and established a confirmed presence in uh, settlements of Krynky on the east bank. Russian artillery loses five times higher than Ukrainian one in Zaporizhia direction. So, I mean, Ukrainian troops destroyed 92 units of Russian artillery while Ukraine's defense forces lost 19 system. Well, that's claimed by the Wall Street Journal. So that is what I wanted to highlight as for current time being. Well, thank you for uh, for this uh, outlook on the, um, on the events on the front lines. And now we are passing to another dimension of the same story, and we are going to talk about the diplomatic developments and... Um, Namely, we are going to tell you about the support Ukraine is going to receive from its partners. And an important event came from the European Parliament uh, the last week. Uh, it approved the establishment of a special financial instrument for Ukraine. Uh, its name is Ukraine Facility. Uh, so this tool provides uh, provides um, up to 50 billion uh, euro uh, of financial support to Ukraine, and it will um, be provided uh, for the period from 2024 to 2027. So uh, this package, this financial tool, is going to uh, provide Ukraine with uh, financial system assistance and cover the short-term and uh, mid-term um, needs. Uh, especially in sphere of reconstruction, modernization, and renovation. So um, this tool has three main components. The first and the biggest one is namely the financial support of Ukraine in the form of grants and loans. Uh, another one is a special investment structure. So uh, it will be a special structure that will attract the state and private investition in, in investments to Ukraine. And the last component of this program is the technical support. So uh, Ukraine will have an access to expert uh, support and uh, to consultations from the EU in terms of conducting reforms. So uh, why is this event so important, given that uh, Ukraine gets financial uh, aid from partners for quite a long time? So first of all, this is a consistent um, multidimensional tool, uh, which will cover several years and um, which is very comprehensive. 
what is a special feature of this uh, program is that the European officials are ready uh, to use the frozen Russian assets to finance this program. So it is a very important step forward in terms of, uh, of taking uh, frozen Russian assets to use them uh, for good, to use them uh, in an effective and efficient way. And another thing that comes along with the support is the um, higher demands on reports. So Ukraine uh, will have to report on spending this money very in a very detailed manner, which is an, uh, also a good thing in terms of um, fighting with corruption. So here um, Ukraine doesn't have its hands free uh, in terms of using this money. So uh, Ukraine will be accountable for every euro spent. Uh, what is also interesting here that uh, Ukraine is going to create the plan of Ukraine, so-called uh, Ukrainian plan. Uh, so um, to receive money, to spend the allocated money on reforms, on reconstruction, there should be a detailed, comprehensive plan, uh, which... Uh, will provide the vision and concrete steps of how the renovation should look like. And uh, this plan will be created in uh, cooperation and synergy of representatives of the author Ukrainian authorities as well as the representatives of civil society. And uh, the consultations with European officials is also possible. Thank you, Nastya, for, um, for such... A systemic view. I'm sorry, do you want to, to add something? No, I just wanted to add that uh, this is more than just a financial instrument or whatsoever, uh, because it also it, it also gives us a general strategic uh, view of long-standing uh, support of our partners. Uh, and it also means that this support will be continued. And it also means that um, this support and this partnership is not only about the war and needs of war, it's also about reconstruction, renovation and prosperous future of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, I think this uh, systematic view on the matter is very valuable, but we also have to understand that the, the support is not a carte blanche because foremost, we have to remember that we deal with the terrorists. So when they are unable to step further, they keep terrorizing civilians. And uh, when we talk of this matter, we have to remember that, for example, yesterday, a Russian missile struck on Kharkiv Postal Center, Nova Post, killed six people. Attack on this uh, civilian site in Ukrainian city has also left at least 16 injured. So today is the day of mourning and uh, the support of our partners is indeed very valuable because it's not one case, it's not one time measure. Russia's heavy artillery pummeled Dnipropetrovsk Oblast, causing destruction. In total, 20 houses were damaged there and power supplies were cut to almost 1,900 families in three villages. Uh, surely to some of them, supplies have already been restored. But so again, Lee, that's not it's on a regular basis. At night, for example, on October 20, Russian troops fired artillery on the Chakiv community in Mikolaev Oblast, 
Also, they bombarded Kherson Oblast with aviation, dropping 10 aerial bombs on Vladislav. And that is just a few examples of what Ukrainians experience. We sleep, work and live through them. And what I also appreciated, Nastya, you uh, covered the topic of some support. And surely we have to understand that uh, genocidal Russia's war continues. And maybe you can uh, talk more about the, the new program for uh, saving deported kids more to us. Um, yes, the topic of deported kids and genocidal practices uh, Russia is conducting every day is a very difficult and serious topic. And um, Ukraine as the state and the international community uh, should react, react properly uh, to such genocidal practices. And uh, while when we talk exactly about the components, this component of genocide Russia has been committing here for more than a year and a half, now when we talk about deportations, uh, Ukraine as a state and the civil society are taking um, lots of efforts to identify uh, the children deported to, to Russia or to other occupied territories and uh, tries to do their best to get them back. And on the 19th of October, the Bring Kids Back um, platform was created. This platform is the collaboration of Ukrainian state institutions, uh, international organizations and uh, international uh, partners of Ukraine. So this platform has several uh, several key areas um, of activity. So the focus areas are uh, first and foremost bringing kids home. So um, the um, organizations and countries involved in the initiative are trying to identify, locate and safely get back all illegally deported children and, uh, if possible, to reunite them with their families. The very important step uh, is to reintegrate these children. So um, taking children back from deportation is not the whole issue. Uh, the rehabilitation, psychological support, um, engaging um, back into local communities are also an important part of, uh, of the whole process. So the uh, organization, the project is also focusing on reintegration of these children uh, back to Ukrainian society. Uh, not uh, the very important aspect of the activity of this platform is the advocacy. So uh, it is extremely important to keep talking about the problem, to raise the international awareness of what is going on with the war crimes and uh, how difficult uh, the situation with uh, deportation of Ukrainian children is. Uh, and another key aspect is justice. So um, while working uh, with uh, reintegration of children while identifying them and taking them back, uh, Ukraine is documenting these crimes and the documented issues will be used uh, uh, in the international arena and uh, the project is closely cooperating with the International Criminal Court. 
what is also important, it's prevention. So working on um, these crimes, Ukraine is also trying to create the framework, the international framework to safeguard children uh, in future uh, conflicts and wars. So that such tragedies uh, as we are facing now uh, could be prevented. And um, I want to remind once again how many how how big the problem of uh, children's deportation is, and uh, as of today we have um, about twenty thousand documented cases of deported children, but I want to emphasize that this is only documented cases. So we are not talking about the uh, whole number of deported children. Regarding the whole number, it is very difficult to be sure about how many uh, Ukrainian young Ukrainians were deported, were taken from their homes. And the uh, data is um, very, very uh, variable. So um, there are opinions that uh, several uh, hundred thousands of Ukrainian children were abducted by Russians, uh, but there is opinion that there are up to seven hundred thousand children uh, taken to Russia. To Russia, and Russians use are using various means to do that. So they uh, they just uh, trying to fool the families of uh, Ukrainians under deportations. Uh, under occupation, and they um, offer these families to take their children for rehabilitation or for um, to summer camps or these kind of initiatives. They take these children from from the families, and they don't uh, bring them back. That's one of the ways. Another way is the splitting of families at uh, during the filtration processes. So. That's the horrible, like terrifying practice while uh, parents and children are interrogated and um, children are just taken taking from their families. Another way is uh, just kidnapping children from orphanages uh, or uh, hospitals. So Russian authorities, they do not ask any permissions. They do not make any documents and official papers to take children to Russian territory. They just take them in groups to Russia and uh, facilitate the process of adoption to Russian families. And I also want to remind our listeners why uh, such practices are genocide. According to the international law, the forceful relocation of uh children from one ethnic groups, group to another one with the aim of um, in erasing their identity is exactly the uh, feature of genocide. And that's what unfortunately is going on. And uh, we also, some time ago, we also talked with the head of the Safe uh, Ukraine um, Foundation, Mikola Kuleba. And the activity of this foundation is also dedicated to um, identifying and uh, getting back Ukrainian children from deportation. And he told how difficult the process is. So just to get back uh, one young Ukrainian from Russia back to Ukraine, it takes about several months. Sometimes it's even half a year. So uh, Russia is doing everything to make the process almost impossible. And that's the reality we are facing. And that's the reality the international community together with Ukraine um, needs to find the legal ways how to, uh, how to 
bring Russia to justice and how to save Ukrainian children, meaning how to save Ukrainian future. That's the situation. And um, let's maybe jump. We are jumping from topic to topic today a little bit, but uh, talking about uh, the crimes Russians are committing, um, it's not possible not to get emotional, not to get angry. And with this angriness, we can uh, come to... Uh, to your good news regarding the military support of Ukraine and the long-awaited Atakams missiles. Dasha, could you tell us about this wonderful news that makes Russians trembling? For sure, Nastya. We convert our angerness in some weaponry, let's say so, because I guess the world uh, fathoms better the situation and the evil access we are fighting with. So uh, basically, the United States has quietly delivered a small number of long-range ballistic missiles that Ukraine urgently needed, and Ukraine executed them very accurately on October 17th. So Ukraine's special operations forces carried out the Dragonfly operation, destroying enemy airfields in Berdansk and Luhansk, and destroying helicopters of various modifications, air defense launcher, an ammunition depot, and so on and so forth. One might correctly assume that Atakams significantly expands our capabilities to strike deep behind enemy lines. If we take into account the range of the missiles we have been given, it's 165 kilometers, and then everything up to Jankoi falls under its influence. And temporarily occupied Crimea, which has long been considered a deep rear, is not so is not such anymore. And as some experts say, Russians can try to intercept Atakams, but it is quite difficult to do this with most of the means that the Russians have, and that is, as far as we can know, S-400 Triumph and Bukam-3, which are supposedly capable of doing this, but whether this is really the case is a big question. So far, they have not faced such missiles. And uh, talking about the military support, we cannot... Um, overestimate the diplomatic field and the um, economic support. And Nastya, maybe you can dwell on the topic of U.S. Special Representative Penny Pritzker visit of Ukraine. Uh, yes, uh, Penny Pritzker, a special uh, representative for Ukraine's economic recovery, the United States special representative for Ukraine's economic recovery, uh, visited Ukraine on the 16th of October. It was her first visit um, to Ukraine uh, holding this position. And it was, uh, let me say, an important um, uh, visit, very productive and very, uh, let's say, symptomatic in a good way for Ukraine. So let's start with the uh, with some details. Uh, so um, Penny Pritzker met... Um, several uh, several uh, Ukrainian leaders. So she, she had um, lots of um, important meetings with representatives of authorities as well as with the representatives of anti-corruption bodies. So it was a very, it was a short but a very uh, fruitful uh, visit full of important meetings. So first of all, uh, she met uh, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. She met the uh, Ukrainian prime minister. Uh, she met the head of the state agency of recovery and development. 
uh, of infrastructure. And of course, as I've mentioned, uh, she met with the uh, leaders of anti-corruption bodies in Ukraine. The main topics of uh, discussions were, uh, first of all, the energy system of Ukraine, how to make it more resilient, how to make it more effective. Uh, another important thing was the, uh, it, it's a vast topic, it's a multidimensional topic, and uh, Penny Pritzker to- talked about it with uh, all of the people she met. So it's mostly the issue of the GDP growth, how to make Ukrainian GDP growing and how to make Ukraine more uh, more attractive for international investments. Uh, so um, I would like to pay more attention to this anti-corruption uh, situation, and uh, which is uh, very, let's say, topical in Ukraine. And these meetings with the head of anti-corruption prosecution office and with the director of anti-corruption bureau um, was exactly a sign that uh, the United States are going to follow uh, Ukrainian activities in the in this sphere, they will closely observe how effectively Ukraine is fighting with corruption. And uh, what is also important here that Penny Pritzker told that um, the uh, reform re- reforming process, anti-corruption uh, reforming process, is a key aspect to uh, get uh, sustainable support from the U.S. Uh, so. Um, it is also important to mention the decentralization of Ukraine and um, uh, that she praised this reform and she told that this reform of the decentralization was a very effective one and further decentralization uh, is an effective way to reconstruct, rebuild and renovate Ukraine more effectively. So um, paying attention to these details, we understand uh, the whole picture that uh, the U.S. support is still with Ukraine, that the U.S. devotion to uh, supporting Ukraine is long-standing and uh, it it's um, it will continue. It's not so easy to um, to shake it. And another uh, issue, important issue, that alongside with this support, Ukraine has its home task. Uh, to fight corruption, to keep uh, to keep uh, decentralization working, to create reform plans, to create uh, initiatives to um, to attract investments, etc. So uh, it is also a very important uh, strategic visit that gives this whole picture that Ukraine is getting ready for, even though we don't know how long the war is going to last. Uh, still, Ukraine, together with the partners, is going to uh, strengthen the economy, uh, can keep conducting the reforms that will make Ukraine closer to the EU and to NATO, despite the uh, conditions of war, and that the uh, support of the partners is sustainable and um, Ukraine is not alone in this fight. Thank you, Nastya. And saying about strategic visions and strategic aims, we should not underestimate the uh, inner reforms that has to ongo and when we say so we also have to pay attention to 
the fifth column that is active in Ukraine, and I mean Moscow Patriarchate. And basically, Verkhovna Rada of Ukraine has voted in the first reading to ban religious organizations associated with the Russian Federation, and in particularly, this applies to the Moscow Patriarchate in Ukraine. Further amendments to be added, and it is not yet known when the second reading will be held, but at the same time, it's important news. Discussions on a special law to restrict the activities of churches in Ukraine that are controlled from Russia have been ongoing since the full-scale invasion because we understand that this is the fifth column, which is the part of Russian intelligence network. And it is not news that previously individuals from this organization publicly and officially participated in hostilities, took part in the training for Russian military, and, uh, well, just motivated ordinary residents of the Russian Federation to engage in the genocide or genocidal war against Ukrainians. But you see, the document envisages complicated and lengthy mechanism for moving towards a ban. It goes like this. The state service for ethnic policy and freedom of conscience must first establish that a particular, particular religious organization has its center in Russia. And after that, the service issues an order for the church to rectify this situation. And if this does not happen, then the the service files a lawsuit against the particular legal entity in court, which must then make a decision on a ban. But uh, there are some obstacles, because firstly, the court process can take a long time, and it can take years before the actual ban is enforced. enforced. And secondly, Moscow Patriarchate does not exist as a one legal entity, but there are individual units against which... Uh, we can sue, for example, Cave Metropolis, the main one, dioceses and individual parishes. And there are about 9,000 such legal entities in total. Thank you for such a detailed account. And it's indeed a very important topic because fighting with the uh, Russian, let's say, cells, uh, inside Ukraine that are undermining uh, our uh, security is extremely important. And when we talk about the Russian Orthodox uh, Church, uh, yes, indeed, it uh, it has been ar- undermining uh, Ukrainian domestic situation for, for years. And these steps um, that are taking, that are being taken uh, on fighting, with it are extremely important. And it's also very important to explain and to um, tell our listeners how this uh, fight is going on and why it is important. Why uh, church for Russians is not only religion and church, but it's a weapon of war. Thank you so much, Dasha. Thank you for this detailed and interesting discussion uh, about key events that happened in and around Ukraine over the past week. And thank you for listening to us. It was uh, it was the uh, weekly Ukraine, uh, the analysis of main news about Ukraine. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypalukraine.resistinggmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. 
Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.